Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Today, we have the fabulous Mark Ostrom from Strategic Transactions back again. And today, we're talking about reviewing current trends in buyer motives and also just having a look at the stats about what has been happening in the market. So, don't go anywhere. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for coming back on board. Thank you for having me back, Joanna. How are you? I am fabulous. I'm absolutely fabulous. The sun is shining. We're uh, getting towards summer. You know, what else can you ask for? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right, let's kick it off, Mark. You're our trends man. How about you tell us what you're seeing in the figures at the moment? How are our valuation multiples trending? What are we seeing out there? Right. Okay. Well, I I guess I should start off by telling you something that that is always on my mind when I have an encounter with a prospective uh, client that uh, wants to put their business on the market. You know, I'll I'll go into their office and um, they'll look at me and they'll put their arms together and they'll say, so um, what's the multiple for this business? Um, You know, how much am I going to sell it for? And in the good old days, you'd have this chart. And this chart would say some would well on the on the horizontal axis would say size of business, and on the vertical axis it would say industry sector. And you'd go, okay, you're a you're a, a food manufacturer with a one million dollar turnover, therefore you can expect a, a three times multiple of profit. Or if you're a five million dollar business, you can expect a four times multiple. Or if you're a ten million, it's five times. And then if you, you can go all the way up to you know to being an AXX listed business, and you could be looking at you know twelve times for a, for a small cap doesn't happen anymore. The charts don't exist anymore. The averages have stayed roughly the same, but the variance between different businesses in the same sector has become significantly greater. And there's another cruel fact, most businesses don't sell. Yeah, right. And so do you have any numbers behind that? Businesses in in health and beauty, technology and food and beverage I'm sort of seeing between about 50 to 60 percent. In the smaller, in the smaller market, we're tending to see that uh, you know uh, up to sort of 70, 75 businesses close the doors without ever finding a sale and finding themselves simply having to liquidate their assets. Wow, that's massive numbers. So then, tell me when we're talking about where we're seeing the current sort of pricing of business sales at the moment. Uh, are we looking here at 2018 figures? What period are we looking at here? Mm, okay, well, look, um, we've combed through all the transactions within various market sectors that have been recorded within 2018, where there's been some form of public announcement. So obviously, there's going to be a, uh, a slight bias towards slightly larger businesses because they're more likely to make an announcement. And we're seeing sort of overall stable valuations. But what we are seeing is we're seeing some spectacular uh, sale prices, and we're also seeing some fairly dismal ones. And we're correlating that with the, the well, first of all, the amount of competitive tension, the number of buyers that are looking at a particular acquisition, but also what it is 
that the seller has to offer the buyer. Okay, and that's really, really important. There are also other things like the fact that, I mean, the ABS, I was just looking at some ABS statistics this morning. New businesses are coming onto the market at a rate of 5.7% per annum. Exits are only increasing by 0.5. They've got a bigger population of businesses. You've also got availability of credit, which is getting more and more challenging. And also just the fact that the actual cost of creating a business, a greenfield business, rather than buying an existing one, is getting cheaper. In terms of uh, the amount of time that it's taking for startup through to um, turning a profit, or, or you're talking here, you know, like just the specific, you know, side of, you know, how much you pay for your company registration and your legals and all of that sort of thing? It's partly that, but the, the, the best analogy, sort of keeping it simple, is the fact that if you wanted to sell stuff to, you know, B2C 20 years ago, you'd have to set up a shop. Well, now you set up a website and you have uh, various sophisticated uh, tracking mechanisms on it so that you know who's buying what and when they're buying and why they're buying it and when they're going to need some more. So, you know, that's just one example. But costs of getting into business are much, much lower. Mm, Okay. What is uh, all of your review of the statistics over the last year showing you in terms of what the sorts of multiples are for different types of businesses in types of industries? We're only tracking three specific industries, uh, sort of an endpoint, but sort of a low value uh, technology based business that's advisory could, you know, could be anything from sort of a multiple of two to three. A food manufacturer, again, depends on the size, can go anything from two to 10. I mean, there is a whole chart of statistics that we collect. And I'm actually really, really happy to sort of to provide the statistics to um, anyone who's involved in the um, advisory business, actually basically giving their clients some kind of idea about what they can expect for their business. We also have a, on, on my website, we also have something called Quick Value where a business owner can answer 15 questions on their business and it's all confidential free of charge and it'll actually spit out a value for them. Wow. Okay, so if someone wants to take you up on that, Mark, do they head over to your website? What is your website? We'll put a link through in our show notes, obviously, for people who are out there running. Yeah, it's strategictransactions.com.au and then you'll just click on uh, food or technology or um, health and beauty. It took me nine minutes and then you'll get a uh, a fully confidential figure back uh, back to you. And that, that figure has been based on thousands of transactions, but it's also looking at all the different uniquenesses of your own business and trying to work out how future-proof it is, how scalable it is, and all the, all the different considerations that an owner has to, has to bear in mind. Okay, great. So talking about the, so you talked about technology advisory that, that you've seen in the last year, multiples of around about two to three, food manufacturing businesses, two to 10. I mean, two to 10, that's quite a broad range, right? It depends on the size of business. I can actually plot some kind of correlation between how strong a, a seller's assets are, how strong the buyer motivations are, and the actual sale value. And sorry, when you say how strong the buyer motivation is, what, what do you mean by that? Let's just look at this in terms of a, a simple formula. The first part of the formula is how strong the seller's assets are. 
So you look at the, the main assets of the business. You say, you know, the relevance of their product, the quality of their people, how competitive the business is and how competitive it will be in five years' time, how well their systems are developed, the level of intellectual property within the business, the uh, financial management of the business and brand recognition of the business. That's the first pool of assets for the business. And obviously, the stronger they are, the more valuable the business is. So that's the, the first part of the equation. Now, the, the second part of the equation is, well, what are going to be the motives of the buyer? Okay, what, what is the buyer looking for? Because the buyer's going to make a decision which basically says they're either going to buy a business or they're going to build a business themselves or build a division themselves. So they're, they're weighing up between the two. Maybe if you could give us an example of, say, for example, in our food manufacturing, where we've got this quite large range between a multiple of two and multiple of 10 at the high end. What does a lower end, like a multiple of two, look like in the, I mean, do you, do you have a case or an example there of what these types of businesses look like that are at the lower end of the multiple? Smaller business products that can easily be recreated by themselves anyway. Maybe I'll sort of break this up by giving you a bit of an example. I was uh, working on the, the buy side for a large food manufacturer and the customer, the small food manufacturer that they eventually bought, had spent millions of dollars over the previous year or two installing a new factory and putting in new production equipment within that factory. And the buyer, although they wanted the business and although they wanted the brand and although they wanted the product from the selling company, they didn't want the factory. So the seller had unfortunately invested all of this time and money into setting up these systems that weren't valued by the buyer. It's a sad but excellent example of the fact that when a seller is thinking of selling, they have to think to themselves, first of all, even before they think, well, how do we make our business better, is what does a buyer want? Yeah, that's such a good example. We can all identify, I think, sitting here in the listening audience, that that would have cost a bucket load of cash. Look, unfortunately, yes. And it was a family business, which is sadder. I guess in one sense, it's sort of easy to say, well, in hindsight, you know, crap, no one really wanted what they thought was going to be wanted out in the market. How, how do we turn that really practical? How do we work out what a buyer is most likely to want? Here's what I do. One of the first encounters I have with my client is we will sit down and we will create a long buyer list. And let's just think what businesses, what larger, larger businesses, hopefully strategic buyers within your segment would be interested in the following. And I'll say to them, which business in your segment may not necessarily be in this country even would be interested in geographically expanding into Australia? And so we'll, we'll do a bit of a brainstorm on, you know, who's outside the country and may want to move in or who's interstate and may want to go into New South Wales or, or something like that. So where are the motives going to be for international expansion, firstly? Secondly, what businesses could you consolidate with in order to achieve some kind of synergies, some kind of economies of scale? Thirdly, what businesses would value your intellectual property? And that can be not just your patents and trademarks and those sorts of things. It can be, you know, your customer databases, your, your methods, your processes. What businesses would see your products and want to acquire those products in order to expand their own product range or in order to diversify 
their own product range, you know, perhaps take it into new segments or new channels or something like that. What businesses want your clients? Because your clients may also potentially be their clients, particularly in the tech space. What businesses want to hire your key people and probably put them in golden handcuffs? What businesses may want to buy your business in order to be defensive and uh, reduce the amount of competitors in the market, thereby perhaps enabling market strengthening? What businesses may want to increase or obtain market share? So by the time I finished with the client and we've gone through all these different things, we can say, okay, well, there's 20 or 30 businesses. Let's just think about what they want and let's just think about how we can restructure, re-engineer your business so it's going to be appealing to them. Mm. That sounds like a really solid approach. And so how, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I guess this is a bit of a leading question. I was going to say how how long before a sale should business owners think about this? But I, I guess the reality for all of us from an advising perspective is we just say as soon as possible <laughs> before a sale because the longer we have, the longer lead time, the more changes that we can make to the business to make it more saleable. But do, you have sort of a magic figure in mind that is a minimum. You're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna hate this response, Joanna. <laughs> it's the response of a pedant. It's a, a very unhelpful response, I'm afraid. But I'll give it to you anyway. The most famous book that's ever been written on exit planning is uh, a book by John Warrillow in the states, and it's called Built to Sell. And Built to Sell basically implies that even when you are architecting a business, even when you are thinking about what products, services, niches you're going to attack, you're doing that partly on the basis that you can generate positive cash flow, but also partly at the end of this process, there's a rainbow and the rainbow is a payout. So you're really, you're really thinking, you know, strictly speaking, you're, you're really thinking about exiting uh, while you're actually growing your business rather than saying, okay, well, I've got to exit now. Who do I, who, who do I sell it to? Now that's incredibly unhelpful to you. <laughs> Because, you know, I tell you what, and I completely agree with you and, and you know, I have this discussion often and the thinking many times round is the day you start your business is the day you should be preparing for its exit as well. But the reality is that building a business is a lot of freaking hard work sometimes, right, you know, and sometimes the skills that it takes to grow a business are very different to those skills that will give someone the best ability to work out an exit as well. So, th- so there's a skills difference, I think, but also there's almost an energetic difference. You know, I just see business owners who are really focused on the growth of their business just can't get their headspace into thinking about their exit. On the flip side, when some business owners start thinking about exit, suddenly they're out the door already. They find it very hard to distance themselves from the concept of thinking about an exit and the emotion of the exit, and they just start thinking about it, and then that's it. They're off on that beach in uh, Tahiti somewhere, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, in their mind, and now it's drudgery trying to work through their business. So do, do you have little thoughts around that? I've started doing some work with a, uh, a technology advisory business that actually helps startups exit because sometimes an innovative entrepreneur wants to leave the business as soon as they've got it to a certain point and before they actually commercialize it on the basis that 
they get more pleasure out of being a, a serial entrepreneur or a serial developer rather than actually worrying about, you know, HR issues or occupational health and safety issues and that kind of thing. But the one thing I would do for all businesses, I'd start with a bit of theory. And there's a beautiful bit of theory. It's called uh, Porter's Five Forces Model. It can, and it can be Googled and you can sit down with your own model in your office. And it basically asks you a series of questions about where the business is going over the next five years. Where's the market going in the next five years? Who can come into the business? Uh, what competitors can, can come into the business? What are the barriers to entry? Um, what uh, substitutes can be built which could potentially make you redundant? How will the market size or share shift? What are customers going to be wanting for? How does supply-side issues change? What's going to happen with legislation, uh, with legal issues? With There's a whole bunch of things. And so if you're sitting down there and you're working out and you're asking yourself proactively all those questions, you're planning how to build your business. But at the same time, if you've got it right, then you're actually going to have people that want to buy your business. You can blend the two exercises with one. But even if you haven't done that exercise, uh, that exercise and you've got a business now that's a mature business and you want to sell it you can still say okay what do I need to do to make sure that this business remains relevant for a new owner and that could be something like offering uh, extension services subscriptions annuities all those sorts of factors and I've, I've got a list of uh, about 150 of them <laughs> another checklist that, uh, that I work through with my clients where we say, well, what are these things are going to attract um, buyers to the table? Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at these factors and we're going to put them into a financial model. And we're going to build that financial model out and work out the value of the business based on the annuities coming from future anticipated profits. And so have you got an example of any clients that you've worked with or any businesses that you've seen that have gone through a process like this and, you know, come up with some really good results out of it? Yes. Look, I'm, I'm working with a business at the moment, again, in the food industry, and their revenue sources were stable. They were specifically in the, actually in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, veg, in, in the vegetable markets, in the, in the, in the greens market. But they decided that they needed to become innovative in certain areas. And so they looked around and said, okay, well, what can we do that has, uh, where we can blend our capabilities, because we've got certain core capabilities specifically with, with research and development within, within the, uh, within, I have to get the word actually, within, um, Oh, hydroponics, that's it. And how can we expand our knowledge of hydroponics and look in new markets? And they've come across a, um, they've come across bush foods. And typically bush foods are foods that, uh, were typically, were typically gathered. They weren't sort of produced on a, on a, on a sort of a massive scale, but they saw that there was the potential there. They saw the fact that some of these flavors were, were slowly creeping into both Australian overseas culinary experiences. And they were saying, there is a market for this. There is a, a quite a substantial market for this, but that market is blue sky. And under the banner of a food company or a business that has more marketing strength, more money to put behind it, there is much, much more potential 
for them to to grow that blue sky. And so, what what impact have they sold yet? Or uh, still- no. No, okay, all right. What, what impact do you think that that will have on sale when they get there? I think it will have a substantial impact, but there does need to be proof of concept. And so uh, in that particular company's instance, we're going to want to see a, a six to 12-month take-up amongst uh, prospective, uh, prospective uh, buyers and food chefs, markets, those sorts of things. We're going, to, we're going to want to see that. We're also going to want to see a fair degree of PR and a fair degree of, you know, a visible customer interest, how, you know, how it could be the next week germ or something like that. Mm, yeah, okay. All right, fabulous. So then looking, looking back, can we, can we step back into the trends? Absolutely, yeah. So we've talked about technology advisory. And, and what do you mean by technology advisory? What, what's the type of businesses that you're including in this category? The businesses that uh, that I look after are specific to three sectors, uh, technology, food, and health and beauty, all of which are undergoing very, very substantial shifts at the moment. Yeah. And sorry, when you say technology, sorry, my, my mistake, I thought you said before technology advisory, but technology itself, as in, you know, software companies, is that what you, like, is there a particular focus in these, in these stats that you're pulling out of the, the type of technology business? No, I mean, really, it could be anything from a, a, a you know, from, from you know, if you're looking at IT sales this year, it could be you know a, a group of security, a group of information security consultants, or it could be somebody that sells product or, or or something like that. And when I when I refer to technology, I'm using it in a generic sense, simply as tools that people use in order to basically make business more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. So um, we've got the technology, the food manufacturing, the, the health and beauty. I, I don't think we talked about what the multiples are there. So what's health and beauty looking like? There are so many subsets of health and beauty. They range from you know medical practices to skincare to anti-aging to cosmetics or something like that. I think I'd, I'd probably have to fill your Fill your screen with an enormous spreadsheet to to try to answer that question because it, it 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 the the answer I'm afraid is it depends. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, what else are you drawing out of these statistics? And obviously, you've gone through a lot of data there. I find data and the analysis of uh, you know these sorts of things really can be incredibly insightful, both in terms of where are we now in comparison to where we were in before and where do we see ourselves in the future, but also in terms of the difference between industry focuses. So what are the statistics that you've reviewed telling you? A number of things. The first is competitive tension gets the highest value businesses. If, uh, if you know there's more than one bidder, the value of a business will tend to skyrocket. Yep. Do you have any of the stats behind that one? Do, do you have stats in terms of sort of the, you know, single buyer sale versus the, the competitive tension sale? Really tough because you don't, you, you won't know in private transactions the extent to which that's the case unless you're having an informal conversation with the, uh, with the business owner. And I have had a number of those because I've uh, got a book coming out uh, early next year where I'm actually looking at uh at biomotive so the from the private side of things it's very much hearsay whereas with the where you see with uh public transactions you'll tend to see that there may be several bidders so you so you, you can see there the impact of the impact of the sort of the, the bid there 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And what what else are the stats showing you? I was hoping the stats were going to show greater globalization of uh, acquisitions, but I'm seeing uh, global basis pretty stable at the moment. I don't know whether that's because of what you know what's happened in the Trump era. We're all becoming a little wee bit more fearful or something like that. But uh, I'm seeing things stable, uh, specifically with the states, specifically with Europe. Maybe that's Brexit. But I'm seeing an enormous growth in Asian interest, particularly uh, coming from China and particularly coming in the food industry where, you know, we've got a, a rapid urbanization and increase in the, the number of middle class Chinese consumers that basically want to buy from a, um, a quality source of, uh, of food product. I think it's described as a gourmet deli rather than a bread basket. <laughs> I like that. That's the terminology there. The other thing I'm, I'm still seeing is very, very interesting is the fact that the number as a proportion of acquisitions that are made by public companies of private companies is increasing. Yeah. Okay. Now, that could be because the public companies have got lazy balance sheets and they're looking at sort of uh, low-risk acquisitions. But I'm seeing that the very, very best private companies, well-run private companies, are increasingly being acquired by public companies, often at higher multiples. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting observation from the statistics. It's something anecdotally, I would say, you know, I'm seeing quite a bit of. And you just can't argue with the fact that your listed companies are a great buy. Who quite often they they can be a pain in the butt, but quite often they pay very well. So yes, absolutely, yes. Yes, there's, a, there's an arbitrage process in there, which is two conflicts to go into at the moment. But basically, you know, an acquisition of a private business at a multiple lower than the what, lower than the PE ratio that they're trading in, basically, is something called value accretive for them. Mm, yeah, and one thing I'm actually interested in drilling into in these stats is: Are you seeing any changes in 2018 from the position that we've been in previous years? So, so are there any sort of trends that you're seeing changing over time? Nothing really significant, other than the ones uh, I've really talked to. I mean, of course, I'm noticing things like, for example, uh, you know, I operate across food and health, and I'm noticing that there's a there's a merger between good food organic or, or something with health benefits and health-based solutions. So there's a sort of a product synergy going in there. There's also a growth in the number of SaaS, software as a service type solutions that are, that are selling for higher multiples. And the other thing in terms of the transaction is that uh, there is a lot more transactions that don't finish in terms of owner responsibility when their business is sold. There is a lot more times where the owner is required to stay on, um, earn some form of earn out. Or, I mean, that's probably what you see. I mean, I guess you're sort of negotiating all the time, earn out structures and those sorts of things. Are you are you sort of seeing a, an increase in the number of earn outs that buyers are demanding? You know what? We're actually not seeing an increase. I'm not seeing a decrease. For us, it's been what we're seeing is fairly stable, so fairly consistent with what we've seen over the past. It doesn't surprise me that you're saying the stats are showing that, and I find it really interesting. Obviously, there's a lots, lots of drivers behind that, yeah, but just anecdotally. Certainly, we see a lot of it, but not necessarily more than in the past. Mm, okay, that's interesting. 
Yeah. Well, this is why it's useful to get a feeling on stats as a whole, because I guess, you know, we, we're just dealing in our little microcosm here. So <laughs> that's why I like to hear about what's going, you know, what's going on across the board. Fabulous. Well, are there any other parting comments, Mark, on anything else you've seen in the stats or, or the concept of buyer motives for successful transactions? The other thing that uh, owners often ask me is they say, well, it's all well and good doing this long buyer list. But once we've done this long buyer list, I'm a, I'm a year or two away from making this transaction. What do I do in the meantime? But we'll often actually work to think about well, how do we get in touch with a buyer without the buyer actually knowing that the business is for sale or the business could potentially be for sale. And so a lot of the work that we do actually in, involves the beauty of, of planned serendipity where at certain meetings or conferences or something like that, the seller may have the opportunity accidentally to, to come across the buyer, maybe have some conversations with the buyer about the potential for certain alliances Potential partnership in order to sort of strengthen the various uh, product sets of, of the two. So even you even though you're going through this cycle, it's still very very important to engage the buyer or the potential buyer at sort of an at, at an early point, just to really make sure that the seller's impression about where they're going with the business is how the market perceives the value of that business as well. Mm. That's a really good idea. I um I like that uh, planned serendipity. Is that <laughs> we might have to make that a tweetable? <laughs> okay, thank you for that. <laughs> planned serendipity. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Fabulous. Well, look, thank you so much, Mark, for coming on to talk to us today about the trends in the statistic. And I, I guess you know we also got to drill in to buy emotives as well. So um, great episode. Thanks for coming to talk to us. Hopefully we'll have you back again soon, Mark, maybe to talk a bit more about this tech side, the technology um, businesses, uh, I, I think a keen interest to many of our listeners. I've actually had lots of listeners contact me that have tech businesses as well. So so it's quite interesting. I, I know that there's a few out there listening to this. So maybe if we can come back on another episode, drill into what the trends are looking like in relation to these businesses and their then, you know, drilling to some elements further there, Mark? Look, I, I'd love to come back and talk you through. I mean, there's basically seven key assets that we believe that uh, business owners uh, need to strengthen um, before they go to the market, and that can be the product, the people, competitive, the systems, the IP, the financial and the brand. And I'd love to go through each of those uh, with you and with the advisors and sellers that are looking into it and say, well, where do we need to strengthen our business price of sale? Yeah. Fabulous. Well, look, thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you again soon. But until then, have a fabulous day. And thanks for coming on the Deal Room podcast. Thanks for having me, Joanna. Lovely to talk to you. You take care. You too. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. 
So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 